Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. I chose this section of scripture uh, for, because we're merging and because I love this section. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6. And it's all about Paul's ministry. It's his philosophy of ministry. And here's why we're doing this. I want to make sure that when we merge and when there are more people here than we have right now, that we don't just feel like, oh, good, I can just kind of relax and kick back. But that we're doing this so that all of us can have a ministry that makes a difference in our community. And we're looking at what Paul talks about, how he describes ministry, what he teaches on it. And it's called field notes because this is his life. This was what he lived it. And now he's telling the Corinthians, here is what ministry looks like. And today we're going to look at a really, really powerful, powerful section of Scripture. It's, it's what does it look like to actually live a Christian life that matters? What does that look like? And how can we do that? So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. And I'm going to read those verses for us and we'll talk about it. Here's what Paul writes. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed, also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Mm. So when I started this a couple weeks ago, we talked about this ministry that Paul's talking about. And in chapter 3, he talks about this ministry, and it is a ministry that is is all about freedom. It's about about, uh, being transformed. It's this ministry of the Spirit that changes us, Right? And then Paul, and then last week, uh, Ken did a wonderful job of talking about that this ministry is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. And talked about that it's about light coming into the midst of darkness. And that's what this ministry is all about. And now Paul changes the metaphor just a little bit. And he says, we have this treasure. Have you ever realize that that is what you have as a follower of Jesus. That as a Christian, you actually have a treasure that is in you. That that's what we have. That our new life in Christ is a treasure. And it is a treasure that is not for us to just hold on to ourselves, but it is a treasure to be given away. I heard it once like this, and I'm pretty sure that it was a sermon that Danny Wood gave, and it was an illustration. And with Danny Wood's illustrations, you're never quite sure they're true or not, right? So here's where the illustration I remember Danny telling. He and Jenny were at home one night watching TV, doing, watching Shark Week or whatever's on right now or whatever's happening. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. They answer the door, and it's someone is there. Says, are you Danny Wood? Says, yes, I am. Said, Danny, you have just won $10 million, one of those Publishers clearinghouse things, right? They come in, they got the big check, they give it this $10 million, like you've got 10, unbelievable. You have got $10 million. And then he said to Danny and Jenny, and for the next day, 
as many of your friends and family that we can go to, you can give them $10 million. Can you imagine what that would be? That didn't really happen, did it, Jenny? I wish, I know, right? We all wish. That's the illustration, though, Danny used that talks about what we have in Christ. It's as if we have won the lottery and we can give it away, the same thing, to as many people as we want. For this treasure we have is not meant to be held onto. It's meant to be given away. But then Paul continues. He says we have this treasure in jars of clay. And the talking there, it's the, the jars of clay are these common earthenware jars that were made around Jesus' time. And they would be shaped by a potter. Um, actually, Nancy and I, this last week, were down in Laguna Beach, and we went to the um, Sawdust Festival, which is an art festival they have down there. And there were people throwing pots, and it looked really hard as they were doing this, but they're teaching people how to do this. But that's what this is about. It's, it's as if a, a lump of clay is formed on the potter's wheel and comes, becomes a, a pot, this uh, common jar of clay. The pot is then thrown in a kiln where it's heating, heating, heated up and it's hardened and it prepares it for its ultimate use. But each jar is just a little bit different. Each jar is, is a little unique. And, and that's how God makes us. And these, these jars of clay were different, but they're not fancy at all. They were just used for whatever was needed around the house in those days. And this illustration that Paul's using is intentional so that we can see, he says, that the power is from God and not from us. That the life that we have in Christ is from him, it's this treasure that's in us, but it's in a common, everyday, earthenware jar. And that's who we are. And then he continues, and the thing about this is that um, clay jars are easily cracked or broken or chipped. And he goes through and he says that we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Hard-pressed, but not crushed perplexed but not in despair. These, this speaks of the pressures that oftentimes can come from within us. Those times where we feel anxious or those times where maybe we are depressed, uh, those times where there is uncertainty or we lack confidence or whatever it might be, but there are oftentimes things that are in us that cause us to become cracked a little bit, that chip just a bit. And then he says that there are, we're persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. And, and these are the things that come from without, those things that come from outside of us. Those are conflicts that we have with others. Those are persecution. This is living in a post-Christian world like Ken talked about last week, that there's all these things that happen and the hard things of life that happen that you just didn't expect to happen. And I know many of us deal with that. The stuff that we did not expect to happen is what cracks us, can cause us to feel like we're chipped. And the thing of it is, is this is all right. And remember, Paul understands this. 
This is, these are field notes. He has experienced what it's like to be persecuted. He's experienced what it feels like to feel unsure of yourself. Two times in 2 Corinthians, he will talk about his ministry in those ways and be really honest about how difficult it is. That the pressures and the struggles of ministry and life can break and crack our jars of clay. But when we embrace our own brokenness, that's when the light of Christ can really shine through us more brightly. That's what the common jars of clay are for, to be cracked a bit so that the treasure, the light that Ken talked about, can actually then flow out and people can see it. But, but here's the truth. We love to clean and polish the outside of the jar. We want to look good. I mean, I was just doing a little bit of research on this, but um, in the United States, we spend $90 billion on beauty products. The average adult spends $155 a month on health and fitness products, supplements, clothing, gym memberships. The average adult spends $185 on clothing. I mean, we just love to make the outside look good. And and that's not only physically we do that, but we like to make it look good spiritually or religiously. And I've got it together. There's no cracks here. There's no weaknesses here. There's no chips here. I'm all right. And, And Jesus talked about this at one point with some folks with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, right? He one time said, you know, you guys clean the outside of the cup and make it look good, but the inside is all messed up. Matthew 23, verse 27, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And here's the thing, we can even, as those who have the treasure of Jesus in us, and realizing that is what we have, we still can feel like we have to make the outside look all clean and nice. And that we've got to have that all together, and we can be like Pharisees oftentimes. Way too often we live like Pharisees, thinking it's what's on the outside that matters as opposed to the treasure that we have on the inside. But what if what really matters isn't how we look on the outside, but what's on the inside? What if that's what really matters? I heard uh, John Ortberg use an illustration recently on his, um, it's not a podcast because it's on video. Is it a vlog? I don't know what it is, but it's a really cool thing that John's doing. It's called Become New. And he tells the story of this, of this woman named Mabel. And he got the story actually from a man named Tom Schmidt. And Tom Schmidt was in college and he went to a um, convalescent hospital on Mother's Day. And I'm just going to read this illustration. It's a bit long, but I think it's so powerful. Here's what it says. The state-run convalescent hospital was not a pleasant place. It is large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. 
On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside, and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to go there, and I always left with a sense of relief. It is not the kind of place that one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped into carts or into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of this hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek, and it had pushed her nose to one side, dropping one eye and distorting her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman thinking that if they could stand this site, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been there bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her, but she looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in the hallway. But as I put a flower in her hand and I said, here's a flower for you, Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it, and then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were ob obviously pronounced by a clear mind. She said, thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. I said, of course. And I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought we could find some alert patients. I found one, and I stopped the chair. Mabel held the flower out and said, Here, this is from Jesus. That was when I began, began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother and her, until her mother died. And then she ran the farm alone until 1950 when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital for 25 years. She got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches, and stomach aches, and then the cancer came too. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays when I usually visited, the stench was often overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible, and often I would pause, and she would continue reciting the passage from memory word for word. On other days, I would take a book of hymns, and I would sing with her, and she would know all the words of the old songs for Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. 
She would often stop in mid-hymn and make a brief comment about the lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain except in the stress she placed on certain lines in certain hymns. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder, and I would go to her with a pen and paper to write down the things she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in 10 directions at once with all the things that I had to think about. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went and asked her, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie there? And she said, I think about my Jesus. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes, and I asked, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who mostly is mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think that I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He's my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I'm sad, I go to him. No one ever can cheer me so. When I'm sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. This is not fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being actually lived like this. I know. I knew her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled, and so did the days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without explanation of why it was happening. She lay there and sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that you and I don't have much of. She had power. Lying there in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone, she had incredible power, the power of a heart filled with the love of Jesus Christ. Here is an ordinary human being who received supernatural power to do extraordinary things. It's the story of Mabel. Someone who understood the treasure that she had. That all she wanted to think about was Jesus. And it didn't matter what the outside looked like. For her, it was on the inside. She was a clay pot filled with the treasure of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul understood this a little bit. Later on in 2 Corinthians, we won't actually get to that part, chapter 12, he talks about how he had had these incredible visions that God had given him, but that he also had what he called a thorn in the flesh. It's one of those New Testament scholar questions, what is the thorn in the flesh for Paul? 
Nobody knows. It, it might have been, uh, he might have been going blind. Some people feel something. It might have been some other sort of illness he had. Something, it might have been the, the people that would attack him from town to town. But he says he had a thorn in the flesh. And he says that three times, three times he pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn away from me. Take this away from me, please, Lord. But in chapter 12, verse 9, he says this. But then the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, or for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't know about you, but, but I don't like my weaknesses. I don't like being insulted. I try to keep my weaknesses away as best I can. But Paul understood that when you are a clay pot and you're cracked or chipped just a bit, that the light of Christ actually can shine through you more clearly. And that what the world really needs are not a bunch of Christians who think they're perfect, but what the world needs is a bunch of folks who have the treasure of Christ in their life and they're willing to say, I don't have it all together. I don't know it all. I am not perfect in any means. But what I do know that Jesus Christ shines in me. And I want you to know him. The world needs a group of Christ followers who they can relate to. People who are a bit chipped, a bit cracked, and broken here or there. Because it's not us that we're sharing, but it is the good news of who Jesus is and the treasure he wants to give them. Let's pray. So Lord, um, we're not perfect. We don't have it all together, yet at times we try to put on the show like we do. We try to polish up the outside so much. So, Lord, remind us that it is what is on the inside that really matters. It is the life of Christ in us that matters, that we're called to even die to ourselves so that Christ can shine. And, Lord, it is my prayer for myself and my friends and our church that we would take this to heart and that we would be people who trust you, even in our brokenness, even in our weakness. We would know, Lord, that you are the treasure that sustains us and you are what the world so desperately needs. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.